Welcome to the first ever episode 183 of the Kind of Funny Games cast. I'm your host, Jared Petty. That's right. Tim Geddes supplanted. You're never seeing him again, or at least not until next week. Tim Geddes, Greg Miller, added undisclosed location. So, folks, I'm hosting. And today, two very special guests, folks, I've wanted to have here on Gamescast for some time. Across from me here, Mr. Mike Micah. Yes, hello. Hey, everybody. Thank you. And uh, Wait, Mike, that wasn't where, for me. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, so, uh, where do I hail from? Or, or? Uh, no, let's start, let's start with, uh, for folks who don't know <laughs> you, why are you sitting here? Why are you at this table, good I'm, sir? I'm studio for a company called Digital Eclipse, and also for uh, the sister company, Other Ocean. And I work with Frank Cifaldi on our Digital Eclipse classic collection titles, as well as a whole bunch of other weird things uh, that Other Ocean does. Excellent. And uh, between us here, Mr. Frank Cifaldi. Hello. Frank, uh, you, uh, you're here representing what, who, where? Well, I, I kind of live two lives, Jared. Um, <laughs> so I'm the founder of a nonprofit called the Video Game History Foundation, which mm-hmm. uh, seeks to make sure that historians have the tools they actually need to tell the story of video games because a lot of this stuff is uh, very rapidly disappearing from the world and it's tragic and horrible. Um, and then my, my sort of commercial life is at a company called Digital Eclipse where we uh, restore classic games uh, to their original pristine co- uh, condition and uh, publish them with a whole bunch of bonus materials that help contextualize their history and teach you about them. Kind of the same work. So okay. One's nonprofit, one's for profit. But you're doing a little of both. A little of both. Okay. So, I, can't, so, so, I can't help being me. Just, uh, just cross pollination. Yeah, there, the there is some cross pollination. But yeah, and y'all are here today primarily to talk about the the incredible and 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 uh, broad, pervasive topic of video game preservation uh, of of making sure that our history isn't lost. Uh, and that, that's going to sure. be a lot of what we get to uh, later on today in the work of the Video Game History Foundation. But first, uh, as Gamescast, uh, we always like to talk about the games that we're playing. So I'm going to start across the table with Mike. What am I playing? You yeah, know, playing I've right. actually been, uh, I have two young kids, and I introduced my daughter, who's the youngest at eight. She's uh, just discovered Dig Dug. Oh! And so we've been just constantly slamming Dig Dug to see how far we can get. So she's getting up to like around stage 10, which is amazing. I, that stage 10 is difficult for me to get yes, to, uh, yes. and I love Dig Dug. And uh, so now, like, I sit there and play with her, but then when she goes to bed, I keep playing. So I'm trying, I, I've got that old high score thing coming back to me right now. Um, but that's, that's putting my time on that in Tempest 4000. You can right. tell I'm into the old stuff. Well, if you're playing, okay, so that hot new game, Dig Dug, obviously. Yeah. Where, where are you playing it? <laughs> I'm playing it on, actually, I'm, I'm playing it on this little portable game she got for her birthday, uh, which is a little Dig Dug, I forget what it's called, like some little arcade thing, but it's actually the NES version of Dig Dug in it. Oh, so really? Okay. That. So that, I hear that thing power up, and then we just get around it and play that. Was that... Was there an NES Dig Dug 1? There was a Famicom yeah, Dig Dug yeah, one. in Japan. Yeah. Right. So they released it here in the U.S. on this little dedicated... Whoa, Weird, I didn't yeah. know that. I kind of want to have that now. <laughs> so she's playing Dig Dug. What's the appeal of Dig Dug? Why would, would, would somebody that's never played this game want to go back and play this old video game now? You know what? Like, like a lot of these older games, there's a lot of charm and character to them. And Dig Dug in particular has this really cool mechanic for, since pretty much everybody's younger than me that's probably watching this, it's a, it's a game where you're digging through uh, the ground and there's these enemies. You've got a Figar and a Puka, and you have to pump and pop them with an, with an air pump. So you have a hose that latches onto them, and you pump them up to the point that they pop. And you mm-hmm. have to do that for every enemy and just get to the next stage. It's the, the origin stage. of a lot of weird fetishes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> fetishes and Dig Dug. I love Dig Dug. Uh, I, I, like the, I like the digging mechanic. I like the use of the gravity to drop the, the yeah. uh, blocks on top of enemies, and that a lot of your score multipliers are built on trapping several enemies under a block yeah. at once. Uh, I love the art. The color palette just kind of 
it's great. Pops. Every game at the time used to be just like in space, yeah. pretty much. And so it was always a black yeah. screen with colorful things on top of it. But this is a very colorful, earthy kind of game. And we used that as a basis for a game we were building in, I think it was 2003, around then, for as a spinoff from Spyro for Activision, or at the time it was Universal. And so we're going to make uh, Agent an Agent 9 game where it was a 3D action platformer, but you had a pump gun. You are pumping enemies up with that. So that was one that didn't quite make it out there, but uh, I'll dig up because of all do that. Do you have it? I do have it, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course I have that. What about, uh, you mentioned Tempest 4000? Yeah, so that's Jeff Minter's latest Tempest, which okay. has been doing Tempest for years. Yeah, uh, and not it's much. Not always changed. called Tempest. Yeah, but it's, it's been called TXK. Yeah, um, but it's it's a visceral shooter. It's really fun to play. It's uh, if you if you don't take drugs, it's like being on drugs. And <laughs> you pretty much you just you just let go and. And, and if you do stuff. take drugs, it sobers it's, you right up. It sobers really, you right yeah. up. So <laughs> it's, it kind of inverses whatever state you're in. So Jeff Minter, Lamasoft, back in the day. Uh, yep. And again, folks may not be familiar. These are the kind of games he creates tend to be frenetic. Uh, yeah. Instantly comprehensible, very but very deep, yeah. and very psychedelic. Yeah. yeah, and and while they're while they're twitchy shooters, there's a lot of strategy going on. But you have tenths of a second to to choose yeah. those strategies. And that's so. the thing is, like, I really like action games. Uh, are really hard to come by right now. Like things that have required like instant reaction times. And so uh, I've been kind of diving into those kind of games again lately. And of course, I hate to say it, but Fortnite, because my whole family's a Fortnite family right now. Why so. do you hate to say it? It just feels dirty to say you're playing Fortnite when everybody else is playing Fortnite. I don't know. I, I, like, I like playing stuff that nobody else is playing, but like now it's I'm like, like oh, it's I'm, like going to like a high school baseball field. It's like saying like yeah, I, well, like, you're you not watch, like, I watch Friends. Okay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Again, the, the, actually, that's more of a dig dug answer. That you're likewise <laughs> jumping back about 20 years. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that works. Uh, that works out. Uh, but what's, what's a show now? I don't even watch TV. Yeah, I mean, you watch. Do you watch streaming now? I mean, are, oh yes, of course. Okay, what are you watching right now? Streaming. You know, I just got done with a series called Safe. I think that's what it's called. Where it's a it's a BBC drama. Um, I keep saying Anthony Michael Hall, but it's Michael Hall, I think is the, the guy's <laughs> okay. name. And uh, he's the lead, and it's about um, his daughter goes missing, he's trying to find her, and it's just this crazy nutso thing, but I just got done with that one. Okay, so it's a, but you are playing Fortnite, and you're a Fortnite family, you say? We are a Fortnite family. Like Every morning I watch my kids doing the dances and everything like that. I may join in sometimes. Do you join in? Can you do a Fortnite dance for us? No, oh, I'm terrible. Oh, no, I, I could try. All right, let's see it. Fortnite dance. What's, what's that thing called? The, the, uh, the floss? Jo let's see it. Uh, let's see your best. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> oh, we came so, so close. So close to having that breakout mode. Do you play Fortnite, Frank? I don't. Okay. Uh, so you play with your entire family. How many of them are you? Uh, are, are how many Four of us you total. are? Like? Actually, my wife doesn't really play. She just watches. So okay. three, three of us play. Okay, and you squat up with just a friends. We'll a get friend. online because we have a, we have the Switch and the Xbox, so we can kind of team up with those. But then you know one one person's always out or whatever and trading in. You love that crossplay. Crossplay, cross yeah. Look at that. That's the future. Yeah. I hear. Oh, people, I hear. I hear about that crossplay. Yeah. Uh, your developer is it difficult to implement? You guys make games. We implemented the first crossplay Microsoft game. What? With PC and Xbox. Box. Expound. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's a game called IDARP, and it was a it was an acronym for It Draws a Red Box, and it was a game that we kind of developed with the internet at large, and it came out on it was like three years ago now, three and a half, four years maybe, who oh knows? Um, <laughs> but you could it's a it game was. you could stream, and everybody who's watching the stream could interact with. And mm -hmm. so in many ways, you go back to that, it was the first crossplay game we was before Mixer existed in Microsoft Family. We're doing something like that. It's like before that. Twitch actually had developer integration yeah, stuff true. where you can interact with the game. We made it up and we just did it, <laughs> mm -hmm. and yeah. we didn't think to patent it. Or so anything, like so. yeah, we really, we'd, we'd be rich. <laughs> but it's just like it did a lot of cool things. Like if you're watching the game on Twitch. Um, you could type in like hashtag bomb, and mm -hmm. it would just drop a bomb into the game you're watching. So yeah. you could like it would screw just happen the right there, right? Well, it would happen, you know, because there's a, a thirty delay, second right. delay. And... But you had an effect on what you were watching. I 
loved IDAR, but I was never oh, any good you. at it. Thank you. But I loved it. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I think you guys, was it y'all that came in to show it off? Or, that's yeah, where I met did. you, Mike. Yeah, that's yeah, right. We that's came in to show it off. And, um, you know, that game, we still get fan mail for like yeah. almost every day, which mm-hmm. I guess we should follow it up at some point. That's an exaggeration. Is, it still, is, it, is there still an active day. community? Almost. <laughs> almost. I'm seriously. When I say almost, it's like once a month. <laughs> is, there, is there still an active community around that? There is actually somewhat, for what it is, being four years old, I still get a lot of requests for features. Yeah. Well, like, and people, I mean, there's so much stuff in that game for yeah. no reason, like recipes and music editors and stuff like that. So, like, I, I think there's still active communities of people who, like, draw no. pixel art and make songs and Yeah, somebody just made, Idar. what song did they just, there was somebody who made, like, almost a full-length Adele song in it and posted it, and it got, like, picked up and rose up Reddit for a little while, and that was, like, three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and people would drop real personalities in, like, you could play oh, as yeah. your avatars. Yep. Could be, I wonder, was Cool Greg Nino kind of funny was ever in IDARP? Oh, I oh. think so. Yeah? yeah. Kind of funny. IDARP? I, I wonder. I think they are. Cool, Greg. Can you do that research project for us? It's I-D-A-R-B. And yeah. while you're looking that up, we're going to talk to Frank. Say, Frank, Hi. I'm going to ask you what you're playing, but okay. first, okay. I, we're already talking about you guys making yeah. IDARP, which uh-huh. is exciting. But I really think that, you know, you worked on Mega Man Legacy Collection. True. You worked You worked on, uh, you're working on the new SNK 40th anniversary. You, Street Fighter 30th. Street Fighter 30th. But... I really think Disney all that, Afternoon Collection, which no one talks yeah, about. Yeah, no one talks we'll, about that. We'll one. get there. I, I'm saving that. Um, but all of that pales in comparison to the fact that you were the, oh, I believe, producer uh, on Sharknado, the game. Uh, okay, I, I remember the credit I gave myself for Sharknado, the video game, which okay. I named, by the way, um, which was I wanted the like film auteur credit for fun, so it was producer, director, and writer. Oh, there we go. You got to, wow. So you are the Hideo Kojima yes. of, of uh, Sharknado. Yeah. I love that. Oh, look here. Do we do we have them? Oh, yeah, Kogre- there they are. Oh, look I've at seen that. these. There we go. It's kind of funny. I remember these. Right oh, there. Yeah. And, oh, love that. You got the QR codes. You can bring them right into the game. So you want to play, uh, you go back and play Ardorp, which, by the way, is the kind of game that never stops being fun. Oh, there's, uh, there's some there's some kind of funny folks in the logo. Yeah, I forgot about the whole with. QR code thing. So you yeah. just like scan you QR scan codes and, and yeah. This game was amazing. Like when <laughs> we when we demoed it, we had we had ourselves made up, right yeah. like like QR codes of ourselves on our shirt, yep. I think, and you could just like you would literally just run from yeah. the Kinect camera, which nobody has anymore, and you stand there and it would zap the character out of your shirt. Yeah, yeah. basically. Freaking rad. So, so let's talk about Sharknado for a second. Oh, sure. Because I, uh, I that was a must. Download the moment that came out, I had that on my iPad. Uh, I that was uh, I know that you spent many years laboring to get the perfect Charnay two and a half field. month development cycle. Okay, wow, that's, that's short. That's that's, that's, like, that's more than usual for those kind of games. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Is ten no. weeks? Is ten weeks? No, more no, than no, no. I mean that's that's, like, that's, that's like Todd Fry Pac Man. That's how you, that's yeah. how you, you know? knew it was going to be good when you had two and a half months. Right. <laughs> yeah, we just got it out in two and a half months um, on no money, um, but it's like. You know, you look at that development schedule and you look at the money and you're like, we can't make anything good with that. But it's like, well, with Sharknado, like, yeah. let's not make a you bad don't walk game. away from Sharknado. Well, there's that, but it's also <laughs> like the plan wasn't the plan wasn't let's make a bad game. It's like, well, let's make a game that's on the same. Let's like let's make the Sharknado of video games. You know what I mean? Like okay. like something that that is uh, unashamed of its budget. Right. Okay. Um, and so we made a, an intentionally sort of low budget Sharknado action game that I'm actually very proud of. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, thank um, you. It, it, it switches between two modes. You've got a three a kind modes. Of a, or three, three modes. modes. Wait, what's okay, the third it's a three mode? Three act play because I like Donkey yep. Kong. Okay. Um, and it's uh, so the first mode 
you are, uh, what was his name? Finn. Finn, thank you. Yep. Of course, Finn, Sharks, yeah. You are Finn, <laughs> um, the, the lead character from the movies. This was meant to be a tie-in to Sharknado 2, colon, the second one. Okay. Which was the second one. It's a great title. Um, and so you're in New York, and it's, uh, it's one of them infinite runners, if you remember those. Uh, Back in the day. Three-lane runner. And you are running toward a Sharknado that is off in the distance in New right. York City with sharks swirling around, everyone's screaming. And so you're running toward it because you're Finn and you take down Sharknado. Exactly, that's what you do. You'll figure it out when you get there, right? Is, yeah. is sort of the plot. It's and you like, do. I don't really know how I'm going to make this tornado go away. But you do it. But I'm going to run up and figure it out. So, so it starts on the streets of New York and you're running toward the Sharknado. Um, there are cars that are crashed on the side of the road and there are sharks everywhere. Right, including just like falling from the sky and like doing a little bounce. With a nice, elegant really, flop and yeah. bounce going yeah. on there. I like and um, I decided that uh, you look at a shark; they're obviously bouncy. Like you can bounce off sharks. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, look at them; they're very. Why would rubbery. you not? Know? They're very rubbery. So they are also platforms. So uh, if if there's a shark on the road yep. and like a crash bus behind it, you could bounce off the shark. It makes a stupid boing sound, and then you can get coins off the bus. Yeah. Which you use to buy upgrades to your weapons because there's a bunch of weapons in there. Right. Anyway, that's phase one. You get far enough, and then all of a sudden everything floods because there's a sharknado. Right. Going yeah, out. that's what's gonna happen. And then. Uh, and then you're suddenly Finn still, but you're on his pink surfboard. I insisted pink. I don't know why. <laughs> he needed Salmon. a pink surfboard. Sure. Um, and at that point, it becomes one of those old like LCD racing games. Yep. Where there's just stuff coming for- at you. That's you the stage I forgot. Yeah. That's right. You got to dodge. Yep. And uh, as you're doing it, the uh, the Sharknado theme, the Ballad of Sharknado. Is that we, the name of it? Yeah, it we is. licensed it from the person. I remember who, yeah. you spending so much time and effort trying to license that song. Yeah, and then I like, just, the game doesn't work unless we I have need that song. the shark. We need the Ballad of Sharknado. How much do you have to spend to, to license the well, Ballad of Sharknado? Well, okay, I, I don't know what normal music licensing is, but this was emailing the guy and and ben. saying is a thousand dollars okay, and I'm saying <laughs> sure. Okay, that's beautiful. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> And the, the, it's a, it's this dumb surf song with lyrics. Yep. It's like, go, 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 go. I remember that. away from the Sharknado. I played and, a lot of this game. And um, <laughs> as the sharks are coming at you, we animated their mouths kind of going back and forth like that. Yeah. In time with the, the singing. So, so it kind of looks like the sharks are singing their theme song okay. as they're coming at you and you're avoiding Not them. a lot of singing sharks in gaming. Not, not enough. Not nearly enough singing sharks. Yeah, if I just top 10 shark singing in video games, y'all are definitely going to be near the top. I, I have making of videos somewhere for this game where I was telling my animators in the Philippines how to animate the sharks with a shark puppet. Can you imagine being yeah. this like group so of Philippines who are getting the the work order for this, going like, "We need seeing sharks." <laughs> and, and he animates like that, where just his head bends back and forth. Yeah. So you get through the surfing part, and all of a sudden you get to the Sharknado, and you're whisked into it. And um, that was a technical challenge. I, I think all we did was just like flash the screen white and come back. <laughs> it was a technical challenge because you know what? I remember we for three days we're coming with ideas of how to make it actually be feasible. Oh, the the actual on the shark part. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're yeah, we were talking about like octagonal, like yeah. Everybody was overthinking uh, it. It was like, just like make the camera angle weird and it works. Yeah. Um, but in this scene. You are Finn, and you are on a great white, holding yep. its fin, and you got a chainsaw in one hand. Yep. 
which was in the script they sent me, but not in the movie. Okay, there we go. We just learned undisclosed Sharknado. Sharknado deleted scene confirmed. Put this yeah. on Kind of Funny Morning Show tomorrow. And now in a very Pac-Man twist, you're the predator. You're okay. no longer running from the sharks. You are running into as many sharks who are flying at you. And you're in a tornado at this point. Yes, you're sharks. in a you're tornado, flying on a shark with, with sharks coming at you. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to get hit, right? You don't want to get hit by uh, New York garbage. Right. Um, my favorite touch in the whole thing, so there's just, I don't know, like taxi cabs and garbage and stuff. And my favorite touch is that one of the New York props is the, statu the Statue of Liberty's head. But just, there can be multiple of them. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> because it's a video game. Yeah, that sounds lovely. And you made this in 10 weeks. And hang on, the ending then oh, wait, the is, end and you defeat, like, there's a, there's a, I don't know why, there's a boss, like, like life meter for the Sharknado at the top of the screen. And as you kill sharks, the life meter goes down. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. You kill enough sharks, and then it blows up, and it says Sharknado destroyed. You're back on the street for round one again. Rad. Sharknado the video game. Absolutely rad. That's a, <laughs> that, that makes me so very happy. I'm glad someone Somebody. played it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the way, before we go on, we need to do a shout-out for a second to our Patreon producers, Warren Moore, Eric Heights, and Tom Bach. It's Warren Moore, Eric Heights, Tom Bach, these good people make this show possible. I want to thank y'all so very much for doing this for yet another month. It just it warms our hearts, keeps us going. We owe you so much. Cool, Greg, can you make a note of that one, please? That doesn't need a time code. What's that? That doesn't need a time code, Cool Greg says. All right, we're good there. Moving forward. I'm learning. Off we go. Beyond Sharknado, yeah. I, I have to ask, you, you mentioned you made this game for not very much money, yeah, and you made it in 10 weeks. Yeah. How do you make video games for not very much money in 10 weeks? <laughs> Philippines! Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, have, I mean, we have a sister studio in the Philippines. So yeah. it's and like, you partner with them? Yeah, yeah. Is and that so about you, exchange rates? Or, um, there's a little bit of that. We've got studios all over the world, really. Yeah. We've got two studios in Canada, one in Manila, one in Madrid, and one here. So we push things out wherever we can to try to meet budgets when yeah. we come in. And we'll, we'll get ludicrous requests. We'll, like... Even some of the most recent games we're working on are like, they want this whole thing, and it would normally take a year. How can you do it in four months? Yeah. Okay. Sort of thing, so. Oh, you mean like the one we just shipped? Yeah. Just like the one we just shipped. <laughs> so we always look tired. That's kind of the other part yeah. too. So, I mean, the, I mean, that's the, you know, the short answer is that, you know, we, we only had one sort of in California cost, which was me. Uh, and then we had the rest was my team in the Philippines. Uh, which just, you know, their cost of living isn't nearly as much as it is for us here. So mm -hmm. we were able to offset the cost by working with them. And uh, it was just a lot of long nights with me on Skype with uh, my Philippines uh, bros and, and gals. Fascinating. Okay, so a lot of that's done through that kind of like overseas outsourcing. And, yeah, and I mean, not always. And I think that's, I think that's the only one I've ever done like that. But, okay. You know, it, 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 it happens like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the most part, we do most of we're our We're a smaller developer. So like, yeah. we work on smaller games. Smaller games are a little bit more palatable that way. Yeah. But uh, also larger games outsource way more than we oh, do. A lot more. Even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> including to our sister studio. Yep, exactly. Uh time code here. Cool Greg. Frank, what are we uh what are you playing? What am I playing? Um it's been a few days since I left off, but the last game I was playing, I was replaying Batman Arkham Knight. Oh, no kidding. I like that game. Okay. I don't feel like anyone talked about that game. I feel like it came out, people went, Yeah, it's good. It's another Arkham game. Never okay. heard, never heard about it again. Other than oh, the PC port's bad, and that was that. That was all anyone ever heard about well, that game. I now think that game is brilliant. Now is your opportunity to tell us why that game. Yeah, is I'm actually gonna. Um, there's so much content in this game; it blows my mind. Uh, 
there's so much history that they're drawing on because it is it is the rare actual conclusion to an actual trilogy in a video game. Like straight up, this is the final one. They did two more, and this is you know they did two before this. This was the end. It calls back to the other two, which I really like a lot. Um, and I don't know, like you've played, have you played any of the Arkham games? Sure. Um, I continue to think the combat is brilliant mm-hmm. in all of those games. I think, you know, the the notion that like, no, he's Batman. You just point him at the guy and he knows how to do a cool move and take him down. Like that, that's how you do a Batman game, right? Okay, it's it's like, not not trying to make it too granular. Just just being like, okay, look, I have several options quickly mapped here, and it just happens. And yeah, then you're it's chaining just like, like press a button and it's just cool looking. Which right, and yeah. and like Batman, you know, if it, if it's Batman, he's like kind of running on instincts, and it's all yeah. just timing, right? It's right. just like. Like like balancing the playing field and, and being able to zip between guys and knowing when to throw the battering and stuff like that. The combat feels great. Um, but what I did this time, which I didn't do the first time I played it, which is right when it came out um, a year ago, I think, um, I went after all the Riddler trophies. I got oh, them all. Okay. And it made me realize, it made me come to terms with why uh, the new Zelda didn't work for me. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, uh, dun, dun. Get off my <laughs> set, sir. Well here. The game's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. That world is empty nothing. There's just nothing in that world. Like, there's no reward. There's. I never feel like the world has a puzzle for me to solve and then a reward at the end. It's just like, oh, you climbed that thing. Now you can get more of the blue gems, I guess. You know, like you're just adding numbers to the spreadsheet. If I were Harrison Ford, for you you would be off Air Force One right now. <laughs> but no, no, I, I, I this is this is interesting to hear. So you, and like, you saw Zelda like, as a very empty world, but yeah. when you were in Arkham, you didn't feel that way? No, it's a small, contained... Like, I want a game that... I, I want the Warren Spector game that takes place on a street. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, that, to me, is the ideal game world mm-hmm. because actually populating a large world is impossible mm-hmm. and you just get open, empty fields that... I don't know. I understand why people... You know, I, I'm not, I like the Zelda game. Like, yeah. it just didn't really work for me. I didn't stick with it more than, like, 40 hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I played it more than I play most video games. But, but when you I compare it to this open world, it. you thought this and, was a much better implementation. Yeah, because like it's it's a smaller space and like everything that is there has a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the building placement is there for fun. You know what I mean? Like like being able to grapple up from that one to that one. Like everything is it's a video game level mm-hmm. as opposed to a world that has video game stuff in it. Interesting. It's just a large level. And every one of these Riddler trophies not everyone. Like some of them are just like, oh, you climb over here and there's a trophy. But the ones that were actually like puzzles, like every one of them felt great. I felt really smart. You know, it, had the, it did that classic adventure game thing where it yeah. just tricks you into thinking you're really smart, mm-hmm. but you're actually an idiot. Just don't think about it too much. Um, and uh, I, I, I find the Batman character and his and his villains compelling. Mm-hmm. I always have. Yeah. And um, the man the. The way they brought Joker into this game was so cool. Yeah, that's that was pretty I darn. I really like that, and um, the way they ended the Joker in this game was even cooler. The fact that they let them play with the mythology, yeah. to that degree was extraordinary. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine contemporary era DC being as willing to to, to bend around. Yeah, that. Uh, because it was a 
in a lot of ways, it was a kind of boldness. The, the movies like to pretend they're being bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, uh, yeah. but this was yeah. a much more said, understated yeah. boldness that actually yeah. made a huge impact. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I like that about it. I agree. And the, uh, just real quick, the writing. No, no, that's okay. The You're, writing you in take all the time you want. We're not in any hurry. <laughs> writing in this game is phenomenal. Yeah. I uh, love Paul Dini. I know he wasn't on this one. Writing was better in this one. Uh, and the the they nailed the Joker that's in my head. Um, and which is like, he'll say something really screwed up and gross and awful and you laugh and then you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's perfect Joker writing. That's hard to do. That's very hard to do. It's, it's hard to tell that. any kind of uncomfortable joke. Yeah. And, and it's especially hard to, to tell 20 of them in sequence and mm-hmm. weave them into a dramatic narrative. Right. I agree. That is really impressive. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I, I like that game. You have just had the opportunity to make your case for Batman Arkham City. <laughs> I think the game was well received, but I agree. It did sort of kind of come... And go, yeah. And and that was that was sort the of the first there. time I actually noticed it was when it was already on sale. Yeah, ah, interesting. Like, it was kind of weird. I wish. That, did you like, play it, Mike? I played a little bit of it, but not as far as he did. Did you I, get to it, the part with the Joker? Either? Yes, that was okay. awesome. Okay, it was okay. awesome. Like he's there the rest of the game. Yeah, just like hanging out on rooftops and stuff. That's he's awesome. just yeah. I mean, is it a spoiler? Do we? Talk about the uh, we, we normally talk about spoilers. Let's let's leave this one to go. Okay. But I, I think I think we've tantalized people enough. <laughs> that, that there's a, I do think I mean we, we avoid spoilers a lot of the time, but today we'll 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 stay away from that one. I do think it's interesting what you said about the world design, looking for the regular trophies that force you should explore everything. Yeah. Uh, I used to work in guides, so I col- hunting collectibles, you know, yeah. particularly yeah. for for unreleased games. You know, yeah. there there's just nowhere else to look. You're gonna <laughs> find them or they're not gonna get found. And that that forced me to look at games in a very different way, and I, and I saw different ways of engaging with with collectibles, and from that level design, it taught me a lot about how levels are laid out. I disagree with you on Breath of the Wild, but I also see your point. Okay, I actually think Breath of the Wild's level design is incredible, but it's incredible in being built around what we sometimes hear in theme park talk called weenies. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that term? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The Disney weenie, like the castle is the weenie. Yeah, it's the thing that pulls eye. you in yeah, a direction. Absolutely, yeah. I think, no, Zelda's great at weenies. Yeah, Zelda sure. is, and Zelda is thousands of weenies. Like, yeah. that's the that's the part of everywhere you're standing is, is a blip on a node with three other blips to walk toward that are all 100 yards away. And then and you get there and going. it's like, here's one of 500 of these stupid seeds. Well, it's not always a seed. Sometimes it's just like... <laughs> but it's just never rewarding to me. Why don't you love majesty, Frank? <laughs> no, I, I think I think you raise a, a valid criticism. Uh, you're wrong, but it's a good valid criticism. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so, like the same cutscene every time you get like the 500 seeds. I don't know if it's 500, but it's felt like it. Yeah. And it's just the same thing every time. And it's just like... You use the climb mechanic to go on top of that hill. Here's mm-hmm. the, here's the same cutscene again. What uh, what are you <laughs> playing this? Why why what's what's the sorry? What no? No, I like this game. But uh, it's it's, just, it's good. But it's, it's really just, good. Like I, I Zelda. I mean. Oh like, okay. I, I like Zelda. Um, <laughs> but I just. I, I feel like I have to get defensive because whenever I bring up why it doesn't work for me, <laughs> yeah. I feel like people are just religious about this game, and it's like the game was. Great. Well, again, we've been talking about old TV shows. It's Seinfeld. You're, you're Elaine, and we're we're all talking about the English Patient. That's really where where you're at. Uh, that's where you're trapped. I don't that's, get that reference, but I'm okay, laughing anyway to pretend like I. Okay, do. that's uh, that's, uh, that's a beautiful. Why he doesn't like yeah. Zelda. It's a woman walking around in a world where every human being is absolutely captivated by the English Patient, and she just doesn't give it. Got get it. it and I she, do get it. Though. She's losing her job over it. It's 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 okay. just it's uh, yeah. It's finally. Uh, you're playing Fortnite, Mike. You mm-hmm. playing anything new, Frank, uh, recently? Uh, newer than that now. No, um, okay. 
yeah, just kind of, well, po- still poking at SNK games because we're doing some research on adding some new titles. So yeah. doing a lot of uh, SNK research for uh, for that project. That's been really fun. Been. We're finding, like, I haven't played half of these games, and yeah. there's so many cool things in these. Yeah. yeah. That was a weird, weird developer. Oh, yeah. the, the, the SNK. Yeah. Old SNK. The for people that, so people who aren't familiar with SNK 40th Anniversary Collection at SNK, just what's what's the elevator pitch on that? Sure. Uh, SNK 40th Anniversary Collection is a celebration and compendium of what SNK was before they found their footing with the Neo Geo. Yeah. So it's like the Wild West days of SNK. And um, the way that I pitch it in my head, and I'm not the publisher, I'm not marketing it, but in my head, the way we designed it, was that this is for the SNK fan who knows, you know, King of Fighters and all those franchises, like all the Neo Geo stuff. It's like, well, let's explore what came before that. Like yep. SNK didn't come fully formed from nowhere. Yeah. Like they, they, they had a history before How that. How did they get there? And I feel like I feel like no one talks about the pre Neo Geo games because they're so hard to play mm-hmm. on MAME. Like ah. I really think that. Expound. Like, um Controls. The the SNK, most of their notable games from the 80s um, used what's called their loop lever joystick. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Loop yes. lever? So, oh, yeah. I, I, SNK fandom for me goes all the way back to the 1980s. Cool. So loop lever joystick in the arcade, you're playing Akari Warriors or Guerrilla War, Iron, uh, not Iron Tank, uh, TNK3. Um, you have a joystick and two buttons, but the joystick rotates in place. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to, to get that idea across yeah. if you've never seen one. It's a joystick. You move it. Eight directions, just like normal. Yeah, but it also twists. Right. So if you're if you're playing Akari Warriors, you know he's got his gun out. He's, it's not a handgun. It's more yeah. like that. But uh, he's got his gun out, and as you're twisting the joystick, that's how you aim. Yeah. And you know it's kind of like a twin stick shooter. But before, with one stick. Before there were twin stick shooters, yeah, and it, using one stick. Yes, yeah, so you're moving forward by pressing forward, but to turn him to aim, you rotate the right. thing you're holding. It's amazing. It's a really cool system. And so if you play that. Any other time that game's been re-released, like like when SNK's done it on uh, on PSP and maybe even PS3 mm-hmm. or whatever, um, the way they've mapped that is that shoulder buttons are rotate clockwise and rotate counterclockwise, and that works technically. Yeah. But the the issue is that if you have that loop lever and you have eight clicky directions, you can muscle memory pointing exactly where you need to point and, and get good and fast. Yes. Right. If you are timing. You know, if you're like waiting, you have to like watch him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Rotate to get where you want. And as you're watching him rotate, you're getting shot. And you cannot muscle memory the timing of these, of the, the shoulder the button, the counter, the clockwise counterclockwise. And so the games just don't feel right. They don't feel right. They're not fun. Um, so if you're playing those games now in that way, yeah. you think they're terrible. Right. Like people just don't understand. No, these games felt great in the arcade. Yeah. Um, and so, I used to own an Akari Warriors machine. Did you really? I did, yeah. So we um, we felt the best way to we're, we're all about at digital clips preserving intent. That's all always what it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. So you know we've I think we've had discussions in the past about like the video filters on Mega Man, right? Yeah. Like we put in a filter where it looks like crappy composite video. We put one where it looks like my amazing RGB monitor at home. You know we put one where it's just the pixels as sharp as possible because we don't have a definitive answer for what the artists meant for the game to look at. So it's just like, always try to find that artistic intent. I believe the artistic intent of the loop lever games was that you could muscle memory pointing and shooting wherever yeah. you want. And so the way that we implemented that was on on a higher level before it gets to the game, we forced twin stick on the game. So 
um, you know, if he's pointing forward you and you hit down on the R stick, he'll suddenly be pointing behind him, um, which is faster than you could actually do in the arcade. It makes it a little easier. So as interested as you are in bringing these games to people, you're just as interested in bringing to them to them in a form that they maybe haven't experienced since they were originally available in arcades I, I decades ago. It, it's, it's close as possible. Right, but it's also it's less about um, bringing back the user experience. Yeah. To me, it's more about re- restoring the artistic intent. And okay. ex- you like, know, why did they want to use the loop right, cover? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Yeah, like I want people to start. Like, I, 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 my goal with this project in particular was to to make SNK fans, or really everyone, but yeah. my target was SNK fans, uh, really think about what these games were and how they led to the things that they love and and learn to appreciate these things that they probably never looked at before. I, I'm excited because a lot of these games have not been collected to death. I mean, yeah. people mm-hmm. constantly hear, you know, I, I ramble about old games a lot because I I enjoy playing them. I but the SNK games. In the Neo Geo, you can find, you know, you can be walking down the street of San Francisco and you will find an emulated copy yeah. of Last Blade 2, yeah. you know, un- under a trash can if you look. Now, it yeah. shouldn't be because it's a great game. <laughs> uh, but the 80s games aren't, and a lot of them are fantastic. I and mean, Crystallis uh, alone oh, yeah. justifies the collection. Yeah. It's probably the crown jewel uh, of the collection. That's yeah. what everyone gravitates toward for but sure, the, yeah. But there's great things. Like, I mean, Venture is, is a fascinating arcade game, and I haven't yeah. been able to play that anywhere. For, for ages you mean and Vanguard? ages. Vanguard? I did I say Venture. Vanguard. Why do you keep saying Venture? Venture is the thing where you run into the dodge. Vanguard is the space shooter in the tunnels yes. with twins. Yeah. That was twin stick. Well, no, no, no. It yeah. was buttons. Well, it was buttons, right. Joystick and yeah, four buttons. Yeah. That's right. There's one over at High Scores Arcade uh, that they have in the yeah. back sometimes. I forget oh, about that. I never saw yeah. that one. Yep, there's one well, there That would have helped me a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, there's one there sometimes. <laughs> it was a uh, meme. It was a meme one. Oh, okay. Right. But it feels really great in that form. That would All right, so that's what you've been up to there. And as for me, so I, I've let uh, uh, fans of kind of funny gamescast here already know that uh, I'm working on the Dragon Quest Eleven review right now for IGN and can't talk any more about the game yet because it's uh, not the appropriate time for me to be discussing the details, but that's eaten up most of my gaming time. However, um, I have had fun with a little mobile game because I can't play Dragon Quest when I'm traveling. Every now and then I'll just grab a premium mobile game, a pay one price and, and, and keep playing a game. And I stumbled upon a little thing that Touch Arcade reviewed called Task Attack. You okay. played this? I have not played that one. It's, it's a 99 cent Android game. Uh, it is cute and it is just kind of the quintessential 99 cent game. It's what I want at the dollar price point. It starts as a clever little Galaga-esque space shooter. Uh, and it's fine. You're auto-firing. And it's it's pretty well put together. And it's paced right. It, it feels right for using touch controls. Um, but then you start, while you're playing it, you start getting alert messages from the outside world for your task list. You get a, a note from, like, like, you're supposed to go pick up your kids at school. And then you get a note that, oh, by the way, uh, it's time to, you know, hey, don't forget to check your news notifications. And and the shooter starts morphing so that the context of your real life is working into the game. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And they do it in a very simple sense. You, you can play through the whole thing in a relatively short period of time, but then it unlocks higher and higher difficulty levels and more stuff. So it's it's the first, it feels almost like an old compile shooter where bizarre things, are, yeah. you, know, you, you go to the grocery and now I'm being attacked by carrots. I'm at work. <laughs> And it's the first time I've ever fought a giant pie chart as a boss where I'm blowing off different parts of the pie chart. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, cool. yeah, and and or I've got to pick up my kids at school so their diapers are hurling feces at me in space and, and then suddenly I've got to destroy their carpool. Um, uh, and of course, giant bouncing Donald Trump heads as you deal with the news and, and Capitol buildings that are throwing Democrats and Republicans at you. Um, yeah. 
it's a dollar well spent, I say. Uh, Hearing about this makes me sad. Yeah? Um, it makes me sad because this is one of, there's so much stuff coming out these days. Yeah. That, that game that sounds beautiful. Yeah. Like, is going to be forgotten. Um, not just quickly right now, but also because the... I, I don't trust that we'll be able to play all these mobile games in like five or ten oh, years yeah. and yeah. rediscover these we can't weird hidden jewels. Right, now. Yeah. right, we can't Sharknado's play Sharknado. Well, can't play I, Sharknado. I can, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can't. Yeah, um, I, and it's it's just it's I don't know. As OS changes happen and the platforms change, these games vanish. Right, um, and I just I don't know. The, the, this whole thing's been on my mind a lot because I've been interviewed like four different times now about the ROM site situation going on right now, and it's like it's just I don't know. It's really unfortunate to me that. That um, a lot of these smaller mobile, you know, and digital only games are probably going to actually disappear from the world forever. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really difficult to find those sort of hidden gems in the rubble like we're able to do now with, you know, the, the Famicom or whatever. Yeah. So that we can find some... physical versions of those things. Right. But now it's digital. We, we weren't ready for that. Yeah. yeah they're, they're walled off. It, it's, you know what? We'll save this for the second yeah. half here because yes. I think we've, we've just reached the end of this part of the discussion. I just needed to express my sorrow. No, I think that's a, that's a sorrow. It makes a kind of a perfect segue. But uh, before we do that, I do think it's important we take a, a word from our sponsor. What's up, guys? Let me tell you about Hims. Now, we've been talking about this for a while. You already know Nick's been using it. Andy's been using it. They're loving it. 66% of men start losing their hair by age 35. There's certain people that were a little too late. Jared Petty, I, I wish that maybe we could send you into the past somehow so you can watch this ad. And maybe it can help you out there because uh, for hims is out there helping out a ton of people. When you start to notice that you're losing your hair, it's a little too late. So now you can get ahead of that. There's these gummies that Andy keeps talking about. He just loves these things. Nick loves them so much, too, that he keeps walking by Andy's desk and stealing them. But then they have to do the whole trade where when Nick gets his, they have to, like, renegotiate who gets the gummies. It's a whole thing. I don't know. Uh, but they've been using it for a while. And like I said, they have been loving it. Uh, these are well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Uh, there's no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements they make it this really easy you can skip all the awkward uh doctor visits and, and all that stuff you can just kind of do everything online they send it stuff in a discreet package you don't need to worry about anything you know you're, you're looking out for yourself and hey i appreciate you um so like i said super easy you just answer a few quick questions doctor will review and prescribe you what you need on um, yeah then products are shipped directly to your door you don't even need to leave your house Make it that easy for you. Uh, you can order now. Listeners get a trial month of Hims for just five dollars right now, while supplies last. You can see the website for full details. This would cost hundred dollars if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. Why would you do that? Why waste your money when you can just do this? Go to forhims.com/gamescast. That is f-o-r-h-i-m-s.com/gamescast. Forhims.com/gamescast. Keep your hair. Now back to you, Jared. And we're back to talk about the Video Game History Foundation. And when I think of that, I immediately think of a large marble museum, maybe something like uh, like the uh, the Field Museum in Chicago. You've yeah. got Doric columns and, yep. and big glass doors. You've got a giant dinosaur in the lobby. Oh, yeah. There's a Mario gallery off to one side. So y'all are big giant museum, right? Absolutely. No. <laughs> um, no, the Video Game History Foundation is sort of intentionally not a museum. Um, so museums, the, the, the primary goal of a museum is to, is to educate the public, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the video game history foundation, you know, we believe in that of course, but the, the hole we're trying to fill right now is that we don't feel that 
the historians, the, the potential museum curators of the future, uh, just even people who make, you know, cool history videos on YouTube or edit Wikipedia or whatever. We don't feel that researchers have the tools they need to properly tell the story of video games because, well, several reasons. I mean, we're such a secretive industry yeah. that, like, all of the development material and, and stories and things like that just gone forever. Um, you know, we don't keep our source code because I don't know There's why. There's no standards for, <laughs> There's no standards for keeping source for code. So, like, we, like, so many games are never re-released again because no one held on to that source material. You know, it'd be like if, well, it's the analogy that we often use. It's, it's the same damn thing. It's, it's like the, the early days of cinema in the United States where, mm-hmm. um, in the silent film days, you would make a movie, you'd sell it to theaters, they'd screen it. You'd move on to the next one. You'd destroy the film. Cause the, you know, there's not even a television. The television doesn't exist yet, let mm-hmm. alone, uh, like home video, yeah. right? So there's no reason to ever think we're going to resell these movies, so why are we paying money to store them? Let's destroy them. So most of them are gone forever. I mean, it's... I'm, I'm going to fudge the number, but a, a Film Foundation statistic is something like 90% of American film before 1930 just does not exist in the world anymore. It's gone forever. And what percentage would you say of, of video games developed between uh, 1970 and 1990, do you think, fall into that same kind of category? Well, if we're counting absolutely everything, then yeah. we're counting, you know, like hobbyist projects, things like that. Yeah. But like, are we talking like commercial releases? Let's say commercial releases. Um, I, I think there's still a lot of unexplored microcomputer territory, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially if we're talking about, you know, the early days of microcomputers where it's like, you know, Richard Garriott making discs at his yep. house and going with Ziploc. But like, I think we're lo- we lost a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I don't think if we're calling it a percentage, it's it's big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm actually not terribly worried about commercial games from that time period. What are you worried about? Uh, I'm much more worried about current games, actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm worried about, like, anything that was on a cell phone, right? Okay. Like, I think we already lost most of the Java phone days. Yeah. I think those are gone. Those decks are just, just, just somebody deleted the last file. There's no way to yeah. run them, even if you have them. And it was like, you know, it was like the silent film days. Again, it's like no one was like, well, we should archive this because we're going to republish this crappy cell phone game someday. Yeah. No. It was just, so when you look at the old decks and some of these really innovative things that were tried and done yeah. there, those dev kits are just gone forever and the ROMs with them, you think? Dev kits are gone, and there's also in those days no way to get those games off of a phone, even if you wanted yeah. to back it up yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean, there there must have been because there was a piracy scene, but I'm just not that familiar with it. Yeah, and but it's it wasn't. Like, it's not like a film where you can just like. Yeah, here's right the now, film. Yeah, <laughs> the actual film. Yeah. So for the two of you here, yeah. uh, obviously I care, or I wouldn't have you here. But why should we care? Why should I care about crappy old cell phone games and 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 uh, making sure? Because it's part of the story. I mean, it's it's part of the story of how we got here. It's part of the story of what the old days led to. Even you know, it's like this chunk of the story of video games that that is uh, this culture that we all partake in every day. I mean, all of us in this room, mm-hmm. anyway, not the entire world. But like, I think we all understand inherently that video games matter, right? Yeah. They they affect lives. They're, they they they. I mean, you know, all three of us at this table, it's like, this is, this is our lives. You know, our lives revolve exactly. around games and, yeah. it's, and it's not, you know, I think, it, I think it goes well beyond just sort of like a nerdy fandom or whatever. It's like, no, the video games are how I sort of, I don't know, like it's, it's my cause. It's, it's, it's what I, it's how I interact within this world. <laughs> you know, it's like how I choose to live 
you know, my life is, is around these things. And it's my favorite artistic medium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if we're missing chunks of that, um, then it gets scary. And it's like, that's an easy one to point to, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, we're missing the cell phone games of this era. That's a big part of our story. Very few of those are actually worth playing, to be honest with you. But like, that that's an era that's lost uh, already, yeah. right? And, and it was only a few years ago. Yeah, it was only a few years ago. ago. And like, how many... Android games are gone. How many iPhone games are yep. gone? You know, and and then I don't just mean gone from the store because that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But like gone from being accessible if someone were writing a book right now. Yeah, I, I I don't know how to play Pack and Jump if I want to. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. yeah. I and I want to play Pack and Jump. <laughs> well, uh, even if we wanted to put Pack and Jump on something more modern that you could play it on, how do we get it there if it yeah. doesn't exist or if there's no source code anywhere? Or yeah. Like that. That's the biggest problem we're really running into is. How do you future-proof these things so that even if you do save it, like how do you get it to move forward so that people can experience it? Because yeah. the technology changes constantly. The film it's changed a bit over time, but not like technology for video games. It changes like overnight. Right, and it's like you know, games are. So, I was just thinking about this this morning. It's weird, but like games are. It's, it's such a weird space where it's like the equivalent of of where games are in terms of availability is like if movies were never re-released after they were on VHS. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like that that's really what it's like for yeah. games. There would never been DVD, there'd never been Blu-ray, there'd right. never been streaming. So the only way to watch Uncle Buck or whatever is like to to like maintain a VHS player that no one's produced in years and like hope that your tape doesn't get eaten. That's the only way to watch Uncle Buck legally. I like you know? I love that of all <laughs> yeah. the films you could have landed you just on. Pulled Uncle the Buck. John Candy <laughs> classic Uncle Buck. Yeah, there's that that, that, that came from somewhere. That's, that, that's, that's to bring more weight to the conversation. That, that really does add to the gravity. You know what? That was one big pancake. All right, in that movie. That were pancakes. That was one big pancake he made in that movie. It's funny, I was tapping back. So I gave a GDC talk about this in 2016, and uh, Uncle Buck was the analogy I made. (laughs) Um, I was trying trying to explain just how how different it is, the situation between games and film. And so I was looking at the top games of 1990. I was looking at the top films of 1990. And... uh, I was just kind of comparing them. I was like, what's the closest comparison? And the closest one I came up with was DuckTales and Uncle Buck. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, it was like, okay, DuckTales, out of Princess 89, that's it. We've since solved that problem. Yeah. Um, but, um, and it's like, Uncle Buck, you look at Uncle Buck, you can stream it on Amazon, you can stream it on Netflix, you can stream it on like all, like all these different knockoff streaming things. Yeah. You can buy it on DVD, you can buy it on VHS, you can buy it on Laserdisc, you can buy it uh, like eight different. Blu-rays with yeah. combo packs with different movies. Like Uncle Buck is there for you. You can rent it digitally. You can buy it forever digitally. Your Uncle SD, Buck needs are fulfilled. HD. Yeah. Uncle Buck's here to stay. Ringtones. Yeah. Whereupon Disney's Ducktales, your only option was to hope you could well, find a ROM somewhere or dig up well, an ancient. Or, deteriorating well, your only cartridge. legal option was to go on eBay and spend like a million dollars to get yep. all this ancient antique hardware and, and hook yet, it up to your. TV somehow. Thanks to the efforts of Frank Cifaldi, and there was no way we we're getting through this show without <laughs> talking about this. So sometimes impossible things happen in the world uh, every now and then. Um, One of the most impossible occurrences in video games in the last 10 years in my mind uh, was facilitated by folks at this table. And I really do want to know about this. How in the world did you get the eye of Sauron that is Disney (laughs) to focus in and be like, you know what we should pay some attention to and sign off on? Re- 
reissuing yeah. Disney licensed NES games. It never happened on Virtual Console. Yeah. It never happened on any other collection, but somehow you, Capcom, and Disney came together and made this happen. How in the world did that occur? <laughs> I, oh, I, thought, it, I thought you had an answer. Oh, right? you, you can jump with it, but I, I think it had a lot to do with what came before it. Yeah. So Mega Man Legacy Collection came before that. It's a very, very successful product for Capcom. Just recently found out that uh, something I directed sold a million copies, which I don't, I haven't processed that. Yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Please a tell me million. you're getting a percentage. What's that? Please tell me you're getting a percentage. A no. percentage? Oh, no. Okay. No. Okay. no, we're not. Um, <laughs> the company doesn't. No. And then, no. Yeah, since that was all was pure work. Um, and so, you know, there was a success of that. So, like, Capcom, of course, wanted to do a follow-up with us. Yeah. Um, Disney Afternoon Collection, by that name even, was something we had pitched to them mm-hmm. Like at the like before Mega Man, maybe even. it was actually yeah. right before yeah. Mega Man because we knew people at Disney and we just wanted to bring these these games back and like yeah I, I still have my old pitch for a Disney Afternoon Collection yeah. which is I think exactly the same package yeah. that we shipped all those years later. Um, I'm pretty sure there's footage of me somewhere on some podcast just going you will never ever 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 see Ducktales again. Ha. <laughs> yeah. ha. Um, but yeah, we, you know, it was, it, it was just right moment, right time sort of thing. Yeah. Like Capcom and Disney had been talking about doing something and they're like, Hey, we have these guys who do this sort of thing for wow, us. So, that's really cool. Um, I don't know how much we inspired it or how much it was just, it was just the right time. Like you yeah. said, and mm-hmm. we, we jumped quickly too. It wasn't one of those things where we, we didn't think about it very long. We said, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. And let's make it happen. So, so that was that was a fun collection. Yeah, you got, y'all got called out recently for uh, for influencing the decision to go to greenlight Mega Man Eleven too, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, we did. that was the, the apparently Legacy Collection selling a million copies is what greenlit Mega Man Eleven. So if it's good, you're welcome. If it's bad, it's not my fault. Uh, <laughs> have you played any of it yet? No. Uh, it's the it stuff they're good. showing's good. Is it? Yeah. yeah, the stuff they're showing I, that I've played is good. Cool. Uh, I was but like, it, wow, this is really good. But that's a good example of like we know we've done our job well enough when they greenlight a sequel, an right. official sequel. Yeah. after we put a collection out there. We did this a long time ago as Backbone Digital Eclipse for the Super Street Fighter Turbo HD remix, if I get right. that right. Um, we put that out there, and that led directly to Street Fighter 4 again greenlit. So it's yeah. like, if we do the right job, we get people excited, and our, what we do excites people enough to want to spend money on that franchise, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and oh, much like this situation, it wasn't the Street Fighter 4 that you guys pitched. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Which we ended up pitching Street Fighter 4 in a, yeah. in a different direction. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about this? I'd love to know. Well, after we did Super Street Fighter Turbo HD Remix... Um, I think you got it that time. Yeah, yeah I got it that time. <laughs> um, we, we actually we were in a good position, and Capcom asked us for a pitch, and so we actually put together a really comprehensive pitch uh, to make the next Street Fighter. And visually, surprisingly, visually, it's very similar to yeah. what they ended up doing. Okay. Um, like the painterly style. Yeah, the painterly yeah. style was already established in the pitch that we had put together and everything like that. But they ultimately ended up doing it internal because at that point, it makes sense that it's coming from course, Capcom yeah. Japan or anything like that. And uh, like in hindsight, when I think about it, I'm like, that was so risky if we did do it. It would have been a huge risk. Yeah. But uh, we really wanted to. But what, uh, what would your Street Fighter have done differently? If I remember correctly, we had some weird... Like, this is where I think the risk was. There's We're hell-bent on having some sort of like rewind time, kind of limited capacity thing in Ooh. a fighting game. And we had mocked up some stuff, and it was really fun, but I don't know how well that would have worked with 
classic yeah. series. It's really Street Fighter fans. It's screwing with the formula. Yeah, you too don't. Much. Yeah. You don't fuck with the formula too much. <laughs> if you stray a little bit, you're you're, you're gonna be. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love the idea of a Braid-esque fighting game. That kind of sounds amazing. Yeah, me. which uh, I think you do that as not Street Fighter. Yeah, not not Street Fighter yeah. numbered sequel. Okay, right? that's yeah. it? Yeah. Because right. that would be too much of a departure. Wasn't there, was it Was it your pitch that had a sort of like you're, you're playing moments in the story of Street Fighter? Yeah. Like you're going back in history. And, you are. And so we're, we went back to a lot of like major moments in like reuse history and all stuff. And like you're able to have that kind of part of the time continuum in this whole thing and elaborate on those stories. Kind of funny is Nick Scarpino stepped into the room. Uh, Hi, you're off Hello. camera. Hello, Nick Scarpino. Are you are you, uh, are you loitering and lingering to to take take a take a talk on the shock mic here? Uh, no, not at all. I'm just taking a break and listening to the discussion a little bit. I was just oh, rendering out okay. some graphics back there, and then I remember that I took this amazing picture of myself. <laughs> and I'm not sure when this episode of Gamescast is going live, but I'm going to come on here and pimp it. All right, going to show this picture off. This uh, this picture, I believe, nice. similar autograph pictures will be available to uh, to patrons at, at right. certain tiers. As far as the fan mill tier uh, or above, or actually no, just the fan mill tier on either of our Patreons. That's patreoncom funny or patreoncom games. You get a signed picture of the champ. Uh, nice. I don't know him personally, but he seems like a rad guy. Yeah, you think you can provide one of those for our guests today? Uh, I cannot, but eventually I can. This is a prototype of the pictures. Well, we uh, need to archive that. It's worth yeah. noting that the uh, the signed uh, the signature on the, the new pictures will be either in silver or gold, okay. not black. We've decided black does not adequately um, add to the glamour of the picture. Got okay. it. Do you guys need refills on Lacroix by any chance? I would love one. Yes. Yes, yeah, I'll take one too. Actually, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Nick. <laughs> Gentlemen, I headed back in. So you talked some about the need. And you talked about the challenges. So sure. how are you? How are you meeting them? How are you saving pieces of video game history? Yeah, I mean, we only talked about games as in like playable games, right? Yeah. And that's a part of what we do. But um, what we tend to focus more on are—I said more on. Mm-hmm. Um, we, te- we we focus a lot more on raw material than we do playable games okay. um, because, like the. There's only so much time in a day. There's mm-hmm. only so many people in the foundation. And it's like we kind of have to figure out where that highest impact is to actually make a difference and like and sort of uh, bandage the bleeding in terms of video game history disappearing. And, and So you're triaging. We're triaging, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for finding mm-hmm. that word that it's was okay. like circling in my brain but mm-hmm. not escaping my mouth. Um, yeah, we're triaging video game history. And, and where I think we have the most impact doing that is not so much the games themselves because uh, – the majority of games were sold commercially to people, and there are multiple copies around in the world. They're not already on pirate websites, right? Okay. So what we're more worried about, what we're more focused on, are uh, the parts of that game. You know, the 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 design material, the the uh, concept art. Thank you very much, by Thank the way. You. Okay, so the um, stuff that went on in studio. Then. Sure, a lot of that, but even things like um, we have a very large library. Of uh, of printed material related to video games because that it's not really a thing. Like mm-hmm. if you're studying, like if you want to know what were reviews like for Earthbound when it came out, you yeah. know, it's like you can find a couple of those reviews if you go on like the the websites that scan magazines, but they haven't scanned all of them. Yeah, you know, uh, and so if you're researching that thing. You can't, I mean, you know, I challenge you to go to worldcat.org right now and find Electronic Gaming Monthly in a library. You're not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you will at the Strong Museum of Play, which is in Rochester, New York. And they're Who you partner people. with? Uh, I don't know about partner, but I uh, help them. I help donate them, yeah. things. And, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, you can't go research video game history at a place other than Rochester. Um, and so, you know, that's a big focus of ours is, is a library. And we have a good majority of video game magazines, especially from the 90s. Like, we're super well covered in the 90s. Yeah. And again, it's one of those, like, high-impact things where it's like, well, yeah, magazines kept going after 2000, but also, like, IGN GameSpot existed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. at least the news is covered, and we have some sense of what did people think about this game in its time, you know what I mean, just yeah. by searching the internet. But anything before that is just kind of this black hole of information. Uh, so we're collecting a lot of that stuff. We're collecting a lot of, you know, um, just like going to developers and being like, do you have any of your old notepads? You yeah. know, like like something that, something that the Strong has that I love is they have um, the, the notepad that Roberta Williams used when she was just brain dumping, I think, King's Quest VI. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's just like eight pages of Roberta's handwritten just like... Notes on that. Like, yeah, and like some of these ideas don't even get into the games until like two sequels later, but she's just like brain dumping, and it's just like such a rare thing to see someone's creative process on paper like that, and we just don't have that for games. Like, you can't... You know, for for a lot of authors of books, for a lot of filmmakers, there are like archives that you can go and 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 look and and sort of get the details into what what it what how they made the thing, right? Yeah. What they were thinking. How how are you going to research like what Miyamoto was thinking when he made Donkey Kong? You well, know, I mean? and you mentioned secrecy earlier, sure. And an industry where where video games were born in the era of of corporate patent copyright Absolutely. Uh, uh, protection and control. Yeah. And so when Mr. Miyamoto stands up to speak, he's speaking for Nintendo. Yes. And therefore we don't get certain portions of his mind or experience. Uh, and people that leave companies sign NDAs or they never leave the companies or when they leave, they feel a sense of loyalty to the creative process. Yeah. And a lot of them never talk. How do you get those parts of the story? Um, <laughs> so in this scenario, they're not responding well to questions. Yeah. <laughs> then we probably don't. I mean, mm. like you can't force this stuff out of people. All you can really do is, um, make them feel comfortable with the idea that, you know, no, we're not like collectors, you know, who are just putting yeah. stuff in a closet. Like the, the, the idea here is that we are a proper 501c3. I did all the paperwork. Like yeah. we're a nonprofit corporation recognized by the federal government. We're an educational company. Uh, and, you know, if, if that material exists, it should be somewhere for educational purposes unless you just, you know, I, I wouldn't put my teenage writing anywhere. But, you know, <laughs> like within reason, yeah, <laughs> yeah now, should my, be accessible. And Mike, you're part of the foundation and work yeah. in this effort, too. What's what's your what's your contribution, Lawrence, to this Well, effort? I'm on the board, and I, I come in and I help uh, wherever I can. And especially in this sort of situation where we're talking about what do you do with, say, like a game source code, and how do you archive that yeah. within a company? Because we have this weird situation where video games were part of a, they came out of the technology industry, which was very secretive. Technology in general, like everybody's worried, like you said, about patents or having any sort of technology stolen as somebody left and all this stuff. So yeah. it was ingrained in people's minds before the creative aspect came into it yeah. uh, and the entertainment aspect came into it that you just have to be very secure about all that stuff. 
And so once video games started to take off, I, I think we had the worst of both kind of there. Like you, you have the you have the creative mindset and you have all the stuff and everything like that, which is really cool and everything like that, but then you've got the evil kind of like corporate thing that butts heads with that and the, the concept that whatever you're working on now is owned by the corporation yeah. and whatever you do, if you leave, you have no rights to any of this stuff. And then even it went so far as suppressing designers' names from games because they were worried that they would get poached by other companies. So you had this like really just like, a, it was like a dictatorship you worked for. Yeah. And so that went on until about the 90s, just yeah. as the 90s came around. And so when people were working for these companies as they, they left, what, we're, what we find, if we find any of this stuff, is that the people who went up against that tyranny or whatever of the corporation, they would steal the information anyway. Ah. They're, they're more punk about it. And they would walk yeah. away with that because they didn't want to lose their work. Or like, like, a lot of these people were working day and night yeah. on stuff. And like the thought that, that all that work would be owned by somebody else didn't sit well with some of these designers. So and that's not new to the video game. It's not new. It's no, just, I'm trying to think just, about it. That's how archives happen is people steal from work. Right, yeah. that's the archive.org. Uh, I yeah, forget the name Scott. of the... Yeah, thank yeah, you. Jason exactly. Scott says steal from work. Steal I was at GDC and he just said, yeah. steal from work. You're saying to a room full of developers. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to get that stories. on a t-shirt and wear it to GDC. Exactly. Because yeah. like, right oh, now... That's a good idea. I'm going to do that. He sat in a room of several hundred developers and steal from work. White text on black, big screen, steal from work. That'd be a great shirt for the foundation. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. But now, I mean, now we have to kind of go out there and try to get everybody in the mindset that you should be able to share this stuff. People should be able to archive this stuff in a certain way that's yeah. amenable to everybody and, um, you know, and try to get that process off the ground. And so I'm really keenly interested in figuring out what is that process that we can take to an electronic arts right. activist that's unified, that makes sure the stuff's preserved in a way. Because like, as soon as the game's done, people tend to want to just like go home, leave the company, go somewhere else or do whatever. It kind of rotates like that. But in the film industry, when a game's being developed or a movie's being developed, there's a lot more openness about it. Yeah. Uh, people like directors are talking about what they're trying to do with the movie. Well, studios announce a movie before they've begun production, exactly. right? And it's and it's video games announce games. a game when it's nearly done. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of games. So how many games could we theoretically yeah. conceive of now that were near completed but were never announced? Well, how many do you and I just happen to know about because exactly. we're in the industry that it's like, man, that there's so happened. many games yeah. that were just on the cusp of coming out that could have been incredible games. Well, but let's they talk, never announced. Let's talk about that. What were sure. some of the? I mean, you guys are in, in a lot of ways, uh, kind of, kind of. Digital detectives, uh, your, sure. your sleuths. What are some of the discoveries you can talk about that you've made? Things that are just like, holy crap, I found that. Or, yeah. holy yeah. crap, that yeah. existed. Tell, tell some of those stories. <laughs> well, uh, cool, Greg, make a note of this one, please. Um, so unreleased games has always been, uh, not always, since 2003, which is practically always, uh, been a big focus in, in my life is recovering these games that, that never shipped, that... that uh, they got far enough along to at least be, you know, representative of something. Um, and I started a website back then called Lost Levels. It was mm -hmm. the first website about unreleased games. Um, is that is that bef after before after the F U F U A thing? F E F E F E A F E F E A. Pardon me. <laughs> wow, you're uh, really going back, man. Sorry. About that. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, so the F E F E A was. Uh, it was basically like our little piracy group that was tracking down ROMs and dumping them. You and know, that was, stood for. Uh, that stood for fuck them, fuck them all. Okay, <laughs> and then, then and that was because we were. Um, I was very young. Uh, a lot of us were, and it was anger directed at the at the boogeyman collector who was hoarding one-of-a-kind video games uh, for his, like, goblin treasure pile yeah. <laughs> and and not sharing them and holding them for ransom. Okay. And so it was, it was 
fuck them, fuck them all was a reaction to that uh, because the way we started was, no, we're going to outbid them for this stuff because there's 10 of us and one of them. And that's actually how we started. Like yeah. We started by like outbidding collectors for prototypes and being like, no, they're ours, they're on the internet. And you, you give them away. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you went to Lost Levels. And yeah, and the we were still, became... still angry because I had anger issues in retrospect probably. Oh, I feel like I just had a breakthrough here. Um, and uh, yeah, it was sort of the same deal, but it was it was less anger and it was more like, well, how do we actually accomplish this? How do we how do we ensure that one of a kind video games, things that didn't ship that might only exist because the programmer kept one or like it was sent out for review to a magazine, but then canceled before it was shipped, you know, like and like the journalist kept it or whatever. How do we get as many of these as we can archived, put on the internet so people can reference them and play them? And and that's where Lost Levels came from. But it was also the other place Lost Levels came from was every time we do this, it's just a ROM that goes in a ROM set and, a, and no context or anything, yeah. right? So it's like people will load up this game and be like, oh, look, this is a stupid game. I can't believe someone made this. It's like, no, it wasn't done. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like it's losing that context. You don't understand why they made So Lost Levels was also my crash course into journalism. Like I had no desire to be a journalist or anything but it's like no these stories have to live i care about this for some reason which is how um, you ended up at one up and, and places yeah like yeah that, like right? the way later on yeah but like my video game journalism career started on my own website and i started writing for magazines my first magazine gig was with nintendo official magazine uk um i didn't know that yeah i was uh, i was i was on the as most people start, I was on the Game Boy beat. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was back when mobile games had a, a kind of a stigma about them, or portable games did. Right. Maybe the same yeah. stigma mobile games have now on phones, yep. yeah. that those weren't real games. Oh, right. Publishers, and, and, even yeah. publishers wouldn't pay attention. There's, they knew they had to have one. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, Which exactly. because so many of them were great. Yeah, I, I, I was more, like, yeah. yeah, there's some wonderful mobile but or portable games back then. So what'd so, you discover? What'd you find? Yeah. I think, I mean, we knew it existed, but the one I was really proud of when, when we made it happen in like 2004, 2005 or something was um, Penn & Teller Smoke and Mirrors mm. uh, for the Sega CD, which was the only Penn & Teller video game. But it was, it was a game by Accolade uh, that was co-designed by Penn & Teller. Um, I mean, they weren't really in the studio like draw, writing design docs or anything, but they were sort of overseeing it creatively. Yeah, they were involved. Yeah, mm -hmm. very, they were very involved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just like, usually when you involve someone from Hollywood or whatever in games, <laughs> like it usually comes out really poorly, but be, be at least that's my whole career, <laughs> <laughs> but they at least have interesting ideas that you and I are never going to have. Yeah. Right. Because exactly. we're video game people. Yeah. They're not. And this is a collection of strange games that or or magic tricks, even on your television that like no game designer would have come up with including right? of course the immortal desert bus. desert bus of course yeah. is the one that everyone knows and yeah. loves and it's uh for those who don't know desert bus it is a a uh, a simulator where you drive a school bus from uh tucson arizona to las vegas nevada it's an eight hour trip on a straight road it's in literally eight hours in real time that you drive straight <laughs> on a road there is a score counter i believe six zeros on the top of the screen when you get to Vegas, the last one flips up and you have one point, which yep. is just brilliant. And then they ask if you want to make the return trip. And, of course, like people took that and um, 
Desert Bus for Hope is now an annual charity where people yeah. you just endure this this eight yeah. hour driving. And I think there's no other traffic, and the bus veers. You can't just lay the controller mm-hmm. yeah, down. Yeah, you can't just you have the to controller control. one direction or yep. like that. Yeah. You have to be, pay attention. And there's the the bug that splatters on the windshield yeah. halfway through. I think yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only other thing. I think I actually am probably stealing that from you because yeah. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever finished an eight-hour run. Oh, I haven't either. But um, um, eventually a bug splatters on your windshield just out of nowhere, which I think is a brilliant touch. It's like hours in. Yeah, it lets you know it's working. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there's a day-night cycle also. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the record is, but back then they were actually holding a contest for like the high score <laughs> for Desert Bus. Which and is you, really you found that. You got that into the world. It, it's, it's okay. I'm not going to claim credit for finding it, but... Uh, by starting Lost Levels, by being professional about it, by going out there and doing it and showing how things should be done, mm-hmm. uh, that inspired its owner to donate it to us and say, please get this out into the world. And so suddenly it became part of the story. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's that one. There's, I mean, what other unreleased games? Sunman is one that I bring That's up a lot cool. because it's uh, one of Kenji Eno's first games. He's no longer with us. And, mm-hmm. of course, that guy was a freaking genius. That's the guy from Warp, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, God, what else? There's been so many. BioForce yeah, Ape. Bring that one. Yeah. BioForce Ape is one of my favorites. Uh, tell us about BioForce Ape. Yeah, please. Ape, yeah. Oh, it's by Seta, right? Yeah. And um, Seta S E T A. Yeah, not to be confused with Sega. <laughs> and uh, you are a bionic ape, as far as I can tell. Like, I don't He's know not the... bionic. Oh. Okay. The, the story. All right. So the story okay, is on this. the title this screen. This is why. Okay. Story's <laughs> on the title screen. You're a little baby monkey in a diaper. Yep. Mad scientist drives up in a van kidnaps your human family and then kicks you and gets in the van and drives away and then baby monkey in a diaper picks up a vial that was dropped on the ground or something drinks it grows into an eight foot tall wrestler gorilla still wearing a diaper yeah yeah. There we go. And <laughs> the game is for for NES. What blew me away when I first played it was that it's so fast. It's mm. it just moves so quick. Yeah. It looks like it's a Sega Genesis game, but it's an NES game on steroids. And that was kind of the best. And the animation is incredible. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like it doesn't it doesn't make sense that it exists. Yeah. Because every aspect of it just is like ludicrous and weird. Well, the enemies are so bizarre. Like like most of them are BioForce other things, yeah. right? So like um one of them is uh, like a half kangaroo, half person. Where, oh, what is it? It's like the heads <laughs> coming out of the pouch and the the arms or the legs or something. One of them is uh, got uh, like a half crocodile, half person. Yeah. Where like the crocodile's uh, mouth. Uh, looking at myself on camera. <laughs> yeah. Like those are the legs walking around. Like I love that. you. Do you shark like, puppets and crocodiles? Yeah, yeah. What is that? that Flashlight and lower the legs. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's like this head sticking out of an, a human head, like sticking out of an alligator's ass, and like the mouth walking around. And like, this is why preserving video games absolutely is so important. important. It's so important. It's also just fun. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, I mean that. Um, but it's a game that people think you're making up, right? When you hear about it, and it's like, and if you've heard about it, you'd say there's no way that was even. No, it was real. And your what, uncle what? didn't work at Seda, and there's no such game as a BioForce. <laughs> But, you, but you're going back in time for like, and to this day, as, as studios close, as as yep. projects don't work out, I assume you guys are likewise taking we try. modern games and trying to get a hold of those as well. Well, we'll get calls. We'll get yeah. calls. We were like, if you don't show up by the end of today, this is all going in that the happens. dumpster <laughs> and stuff like that. And we have to scramble. We'll either call people who might be closer to it or whatever. Yeah. We try to do our best to just go do the dumpster dive to get everything. that Paperwork, yeah. things like that. Well, often they won't let us take that stuff. But, yeah. I mean, I got a storage full of IDOS stuff. 
Okay. Yeah, a lot of I know stuff. But it's nothing like super interesting. It was just, I mean, but that's, you never know. That's you why never you know. have to answer the call. You never know, right? But like, well, I mean, and, and here's the situation. So, like, IDOS was sold to Square Enix mm-hmm. years ago, right? IDOS US used to operate here as a publisher. Uh, when the acquisition happened, all publishing operations moved to Europe. Um, but Crystal Dynamics was still in the building that they had rented. Okay. And uh, ironically, there was a tomb under Crystal Dynamics of IDOS stuff because that's where IDOS was operating. And they were just basically like playing out their lease. You know, they're just yeah. still in the space until the lease ran out. Lease ran out. We got a call because uh, we know someone over there. They're like, hey, we got a bunch of stuff we're about to throw away. Uh, if you can come in and get it by 5 p.m., you can take it. Wow. <laughs> so it's so just off like, you go. Well, what, whatever, whatever, what, whatever game we're working on is just on hold today. Yeah. So, so where does all this stuff end up? So you're talking about, you know, you're not just yeah. collecting, you're preserving the history. Um, are you sending it to museums? Are right. you scanning yeah. it? Are yeah. you digitizing it? It's are a you little bit of everything. Yeah. Like, like right now, the foundation is so early and, and sort of fluid in its approach right now that we don't have like a thing we do. We just yeah. are just trying to do as much as we can until we find our footing and figure out how we best fit in the world. But yeah. uh, what we're really in the phase of right now is the sort of identifying volatile things that are, that might disappear and, and acquiring them and just putting them somewhere and figuring it out later. It's, okay. it's basically where we are right now. So you're at acquisition and then you're going to work on distribution. Right. And, and, and I mean, yeah. that said, uh, yeah, sometimes we scan things. Sometimes we write articles about artifacts that we have. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of things. We have a we have a writer's fund where we uh, give grants to people to what, what we call interpret video game history. So yeah, it's like if you want to do some deep dive research into something that a video game site is never going to pay you for. Mm-hmm. Right. But we can help with that. Like we can, we can sort of kickstart that article for you with a little bit of money. Can you give me an example of something you're, you're working on with that right now? Yeah. Um, so I have a graphics designer named Kate who's doing this wonderful series uh, where she is just chronologically going through the history of video game advertising. Oh, wow. And um, so she's just at the very beginning. So we, we, we just got past the Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, and that was a really interesting thing to look back on because there's videos that we have of like, um, you've seen this on What's yeah. My Line, yeah. you know the video, the game show What's yeah. My Line. Um, so the, the 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 rules of What's My Line is it is What's My Line. That's the name of the show, right? It, I think where they bring someone on who has a weird job, and the panelists have to ask yes or no questions until they figure out what his job is, yeah. his or her job is, and. This guy was a representative of Magnavox. He was a salesman for the Odyssey. Right? Oh, wow. And no one had ever seen a video game before. Oh, wow. And so, so, trying to, so trying they, to, they, like, yeah. figure out what it is. So they, they wheel in this guys. television, and people, the contestants are only seeing the back of a television, and they're seeing two people <laughs> on stage talking to each other with a controller like yeah. under the table. And they've going, never like, seen a game controller oh, in you their got lives. Me. But they're not seeing the game controller yeah. either. They're not seeing anything. So they're like... So it's like this this amazing artifact where you're watching in real time people wrap their heads around the concept of a video game. Yeah. Where they're like, are you manipulating the television? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. They're like, are you, is it a, are you, are you competing? Yes. It's like, it's yeah. a, like someone. Freaking yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's like they turn the game around and show them how it works. And they're just like, they don't understand yeah. how they're well, making things on the television. Well, television move. served one purpose. They right. were there to yeah. show you TV shows. Right. Yeah. And they so, couldn't be used for anything else. So we dug that out and we dug out like 
I ordered back issues of Raiders Digest on eBay to like scan. <laughs> Could just ask my mom. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to scan like the advertising for like the Frank Sinatra special that introduced the Magnavox Odyssey, and like we get into like I it's, did not know that. Yeah, no, no one knows about this stuff. Oh so we did that, and then we uh, she did her second part where she's going into like the first arcade advertising was computer space, and you know the flyer. Yeah, right. Yeah, with the lady that. in the dress. Yeah. Um, she's basically explaining where that came from. Like, that's the car industry back then. It's like, if you're advertising this giant cabinet... It's made and, out of fiberglass. Right. right. Like, <laughs> like, where are you looking for inspiration? You're looking Do at ladies... Like, exactly. And she's showing even, like, the typeface and how that was used and stuff like oh that. Did, like, you see, did you see the Shane Black flick, The, the Nice Guys? Uh, yes. That, oh, God. That, the, the gunfight at the car yeah. show... It's a it's a seventies tastic like car show and they're having a shootout and the car is on this stereotypical rotating yeah. thing and he takes cover behind the car. It's one of my favorite shots in a movie. I, I love it so much. Um, oh goodness. Guys, that's a uh, really good rotating set piece bit in uh, Arkham Knight, also. Oh, that really comes full circle. Now, what I, I, what I do want to hit you up with here, yes. Les, though. Okay, so you guys, you're a small foundation that, yeah. that's had a big impact because I, I think you're selling yourself short on how much you've already preserved. I've yeah. never seen you more gleeful than literally watching with a shoulder bag full of discs grinning and like running down a hallway. Um, what was that? Uh, that was a GDC. Um, oh, was that? Just, yeah, you're yeah, just like, I just got history in a bag. Like that's how happy. you're so happy. Um, but uh, I, you do do a lot and you've yeah. preserved a lot and, and just getting started. Yeah, the foundation's a little over a year old now, Yeah, right? about a year and a half, yeah. And I mean, as an idea, it's much older than that, but as reality, it's a year yeah. and a half. Yeah, so how, uh, how can the people watching and the people listening to this help save game history. Oh, What sure. can they do? What are all the different ways they can help out? I mean, the easy way is to donate money. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we're organized and and, and we, we have a pretty good grasp on what the needs are and, and uh, we're, we're actually very tight with our budget, so we're not throwing your money away. Um, and that is, if you go to our website, uh, gamehistory.org, uh, there's a big donate button. You can go straight to gamehistory.org forward slash donate if that's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we'd like to encourage people to do if they really want to help um, is to become a part of our Patreon community. Yeah. Because uh, like me, yeah, you're are, yeah, you're yeah. never in our Discord though. What's that? You're never in the Discord. I I, I I'm discordant. <laughs> I, I, but yeah, we, I am in. The, we have, uh, we have a Discord. We yeah. have a little like backer only blog that you know I'll occasionally push mm-hmm. exclusive things to. But but. The thing is, like, yeah, we're the quote unquote experts, but we we can't know everything. We can't be no. everywhere. And uh, the way that I really like, I really like people getting involved and talking in the Discord and, and like sort of solving mysteries together and and sort of helping me, helping all of us sort of steer this foundation towards yeah. what it needs to be. You want people to be extensions of us. Yeah, basically. like I don't want to just work in this void and like you know take your money and like. You just trust me to do what I need to do with it. It's like, uh, like I want, I want that to be a public conversation. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, not like it's when I say public, I mean toward the people who really want to get involved because I can't talk to the entire world all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, I really like this Discord uh, through Patreon model. If you if you guys want to get involved and talk about it with us, um, in terms of like volunteer work, uh, we're we're figuring that out. Like, there's a lot of stuff to do. Um, our next big step, actually, and what we're going to start fundraising toward is uh, we're going to open 
a, a research library here in the video in the in the video game area here in the in the San Francisco Bay. Kind of area. the same, yeah. the video honestly. Game area. That's yeah. kind of the video game area. Because um, I really, you know, I have all this stuff and it's in my apartment and storage and stuff. We don't really have an office yet, yeah. and and I want people to come use this stuff, okay. right? Um, so. We're hoping in the next maybe six months or so to open a research library. Neat. Like, I think the first video game research library ever. Are you going to have um, a giant pair of scissors with a ribbon to cut on the day you open it? No, I'm probably just going to be very stressed out. And oh, have a key okay. I was hoping for a novelty yeah. pair of scissors. I hope you get I the ladder that. that rolls, though, in your library. Oh, man. Oh, we should do that. Do that. Well, you got to help me build the shelving if we do, do that. that. But, like, to me, that's the first step toward getting the community like directly involved in okay. person where we don't just have a library of stuff. It's like, here's our digitization lab, yeah. right? It's like yeah. we can start bringing volunteers in with book scanners yeah. set up already to just kind of do the labor and help, you know, OCR all these documents and things so people can search them. Right. And, and there's so much expertise around that in the area yeah. with, with, again, the internet archive is based yep. here. They yep. know a lot about that. And it's, and uh, you guys have been, it's doing, the right place you've been doing that for a while, yeah. uh, just a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Thanks, friends. Uh, sure. And also, if anybody has a copy of, uh, of the Hellraiser prototype cartridge in their basement, uh, yeah. uh, feel free to send that. Uh, that's probably I, gone I forever. I know where that is. You do? I'm working on it. I thought that was gone. Somebody saved it? It's at least the cartridge. We don't <gasps> know what's on the ROMs. I can't <laughs> believe You're talking about this, this, the cartridge that has the Z80 built in? Oh, my gosh. The that. cartridge exists. We don't know what's on it. Holy crap. Well, I'm happy. Jared nerds out today on Gamescast. Friends, it's not quite time for the show to end because mobile game or bullshit returns. That's right. Our guests are going to play here today with us. Today's topic, mobile game. Sorry, I'm just looking at this list. Is this a list of oh, ranking the Marvel movies? Oh, right. Here. Oh, yes. This is this is a show that uh, happens here. There's the uh, there's the MCU in review, and now the XCU in review. It's another okay. show produced here in the studio, Marvel okay. Cinematic Universe in review. Every week they argue and rank the movies. Mm. Uh, every week they every week they re-rank the movies. Yeah, every week. They, they just keep adding one to the list and just keep building up. I'm yeah. just very happy to see Iron Man 3 in a respectable position. Yeah, I like Iron Man 3. Me too. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Right. No You're problem at all. So, <laughs> unfortunately, with Kevin out of town, it's all pure chaos. We don't know how to play the Mobile Gamer Bullshit theme song without him here. So, we're not getting that, but we're going to jump right into the game. Today, Mobile Game or Star Trek episode. To explain, <laughs> it could either be the title of a mobile game or it could be the title of any series Star Trek episode, the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, whatever. Okay. Could be All right. Any of these. Okay? Animated? Animated. I didn't pick any from the animated, okay. but it could be. Okay. Animated. We, but it actually couldn't be because yeah. you didn't pick any. All right. It couldn't be. So it couldn't. So we normally do five, but I was worried some of these might be a little too easy. So I went with seven. So we'd have that tiebreaker. Okay. All right. All right. And, uh, Mike, you're going to go first. Normally, Let's Greg keeps it. score on a sheet here. I'm going to keep score over on this end. Mike, your guess, Drolf. Drolf? Drolf. Is Drolf a mobile game or a Star Trek episode? And by the way, these all have descriptions. Some of the descriptions are real, some are fake. All right. Here's, this is a piece from the mobile game description. Get the ball in the hole. Drolf. <laughs> is that mobile game or bullshit? Bullshit. Mike says bullshit. Meaning that it's a Star Trek. That it's a Star Trek episode. Okay. Frank? 
Uh, that's a mobile game. That's a mobile game. All right. So Frank says mobile game. That's the, that's the exact kind of title that someone who is purely an engineer would think would sell a video game. <laughs> there is a game called Droll. Just add an F. But I don't know. Like, All right. So I'm keeping score today as well as hosting, which uh, is going to slow things down a little. Number two. Darmok. One touch bullet hell. Darmok and, and the maybe fake uh, game description is one touch bullet hell. Are, are all of these fake descriptions, or all these we descriptions know, right? for mobile games, right? Not Star Trek episodes. There are no Star Trek episode descriptions. Got it. Got okay. It. And what, what is the name again? Darmok. Darmok. I'm going Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek and Star Trek. Yep. All right. It sounds like a Star Trek word. All right. It does. You just add ok on the end of any. Yeah. Like little ok there at the end. Four ok. Yeah. 100 Rogues, a dungeon crawling fantasy adventure. Ooh. Oh, that just. You're you're trying to trick us, I think. That's a good one. That's. Because that's too Would obvious. I do that? Would I do that? It's what you want me to think is a mobile game, but it in fact is not a mobile game. That does go on here a lot. But I can't tell you that's what's happening right now. 100 Rogues. It, it should be a mobile game. It should be a mobile game, but like. What's the call? God damn it. This is hard. Yeah, this shows this shows mean. Ugh. Mobile game. Mobile, mobile game. game. Frank? Um, I agree. I think you're trying to do the thing where you are like, no, that couldn't that, that's too it's easy. Too obvious. So, too obvious. But I think you're 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 turning that on its head and it's yeah, it's a mobile game. Number four. War and order. Orc knights, elf sages, dragon riders, and other <laughs> incredible warriors are waiting to fight for your empire. War and order? War and order. It's like law and order? Yeah. See, that makes me go uh, mobile game because that kind of like stupid pun is not Star Trek. There's some probably but, supermodel doing the ads. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. Some, some Come play, my liege. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like gently. Uh, I think Come Play My Liege was actually a real ad. Yeah, like I think that was, actually did was, happen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, what do you think? Say it one more time. All right. War and order. Orc knights, elf sages, dragon riders, and other incredible warriors are waiting to fight for your empire. I'm going to go Star Trek, but only because all of these sound like mobile games to me. And it's like, surely you did some Star Trek. All right. Mike, what about you? I just don't, I don't understand Orc knights. Or any of these sorts of things, so I'm going with Star Trek. All right. Like, it sounds like that was made up. Okay. Number five. Balance of Terror. <laughs> Description. Orc knights, elf sages, <laughs> dragon riders, and other incredible <laughs> warriors are waiting to fight for your empire. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> We're going to do Star Trek on that That actually sounds like Star Trek to me. Okay. <laughs> Number six. A taste of Armageddon. <laughs> Gather your friends and win World War III. Um, <laughs> I'd want to play every one of these as a mobile game. Yeah. The they all sound amazing. I'm going to go Star Trek on that one. Um, taste of Armageddon. Because that, that doesn't sound like a... a like, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't scream product It to feels me. like they went back in time at a point where Earth was like, went down this dystopian path. Yeah. And so it, it ends up just being a Western set. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the Western said that would be Shadow of the Gun. Uh, but, so you uh, know more. Uh, oh, but this is, this is, uh, 
Uh, this, by the way, this this topic was suggested by a, a kind of funny best friend. I don't have the name here right now, unfortunately. I think it had already gotten eaten by my Twitter feed. Whoever you, you are, this, you is, are. This, this is great. This, this is really good. Last one, second skin. Can you do the surgery? Ooh. <laughs> I want to play that mobile game. Yeah. Second skin. It sounds like something that would be like some sort of alien species sort of thing that they discover in an episode of Star Trek. Possibly. Mm. All right, I don't well. want Frank to win. I'm going to say Star Trek. I don't care. Say Star, Star Trek. Trek. All right, Frank? I'm also going to say Star Trek because the surgery genre is way overpopulated, and that title is too clever for someone who's just cashing in on the genre. All right, so it's yeah. not a good cash-in game. All right, let's see what we got here. Number one, Drolf. <laughs> get the ball in the hole. Mobile game. Damn it. Mobile game and get the ball in the hole is part of the real description. So you're keeping track. Uh, you're keeping score for yourself here. Okay. Since I don't have that, okay. so you get you want. Okay. Here I'm, we go. I'm down. Number two, Darmok. One touch bullet hell. Darmok. One of the very best episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's yes. both of us. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. both of you. Okay. That's right. You both got that two one right. One. Darmok is that is a superb episode. Really, yeah. really good. Standout TNG. One hundred rogues. <laughs> Both of you said mobile game, and both of you were correct. Boom. Mobile game. There we go. Mm -hmm. Three for three. Don't War and order. <laughs> yeah. Both of you said Star Trek. War and order. <sighs> Hello, my liege. Is a mobile game. <laughs> that didn't surprise me. Is yeah. a mobile no. game. Whereupon Balance of Terror, which you both said was Star Trek. Absolutely. All right, there we go. Star Trek. Damn. That's right. Did Frank agree with me on everything ever done? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, a, uh, let's see. A Taste of Armageddon. Gather your friends and win World War III. Taste of Armageddon is a Star Trek The Original Series episode. All right. Uh, about, a, uh, about a future where people have learned not to fight real wars, so they fight simulated ones, but still kill everybody that dies in the simulated battle. Through euthanasia. What okay. if the simulated battle was on a mobile device? Mm. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> and finally, second skin. Likewise, Star Trek episode. That's six oh, out of seven. seven for this That's pretty good. Five out of seven. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Screw there you, Frank. we go. So Frank wins by one, and you're Ooh. a new champion. We can't play the theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, that has been the kind of funny games cast. If folks want to know more about the Foundation and you guys, where do you look? Where do you go? Uh, Gamehistory.org, please. Uh, and we have a real cool blog with a lot of community-written uh, content that interprets video game history in really interesting ways. Uh, latest post, I believe, was, yes, it was, about the... Uh, the first moral panic in video game history around uh, a game called Death Race. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. You can, you can go to the Museum Mechanique and play Death Race yeah, right now. You can. Mm -hmm. You can. Mike, what about you? You can just follow me at, at MikeJMicah on Twitter. Uh, and I usually post about stupid stuff and also what we're doing. And once again, everybody, I want to thank our Patreon producers, most of all, Warren Moore, Eric Heitz, Tom Bach. Y'all make this happen. <laughs> all of you who watch and support on Patreon, make this happen. Everybody listening, thank you. Our jobs are a privilege. You make them possible. Uh, Greg and uh, Tim will be back next week. Uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with this here sinking ship. <laughs> and uh, see you next time. Bye.